Well, good morning once again, Connection Point Church. So glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning and so glad that it's not snowing or icing outside. I may be raining out there, but I can deal with rain and 70 degrees a lot better than I can deal with ice and 20 degrees. Man, it has been a great week. It's been a great day already. I got my uh, check-in done for my flight tomorrow. You ever forget if you fly southwest to check-in? It's not a good thing if you forget. So I'm checked in, ready to head out in the morning for a few days to a conference. going to be a great time. But I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I just want to say thanks for being with us, whether you're joining us online or here in person. Thank you for taking the time to worship with us today. Last week, we began a new series titled Back to the 90s. And, and in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at some of those great passages of Scripture, some of those great chapters in Psalms located between Psalm 90 and Psalm 99. Last week, we looked at Psalm 91, and, and we, as we walked through that, we saw that if we would set our love upon God, if we would take time to dwell in that place of intimacy with Him, we would find that God is not just for us, but He's with us, that He will never leave us, that He will not forsake us, that He truly is, as we saw as we laid out those principles, He truly is our protector, and He truly is that refuge in the storm. Amen? Well, today we're going to be in Psalm 94. If you got your Bible, go ahead and open there if you would. We're going to be looking at the God of justice today. We all like the God of justice when his justice is dealing with someone else, don't we? <laughs> in preparing for today's message, I looked at several different translations of this, of this passage as well as a few different um, commentaries, and, and as I was looking through some commentaries, I came across a story that I had heard before, and it just, I was like, man, that just really goes with this passage, and I guess that's why he used it with this passage, but it, it just spoke to me, and that was Dr. George Wood tells this story. If you don't know who Dr. George Wood is, he uh, was the former general superintendent of the Assembly of God. Uh, he's since retired, but I believe he still sits as the chairman of the World Assembly of God. So he tells this story that so shortly after coming to work at the um, general council there in Springfield, um, Missouri, a pastor friend of his stopped by to see him. And he shares this story that when he was in West Texas as an associate pastor, his senior pastor had this new convert come by his office one day. So this is a true story, too. So this, this convert, new convert, she's a young lady, comes by the senior pastor's office, and, and she says, you know, pastor, we've got those flowers on the communion table, and they're plastic, and they just don't look so good. And I love to put bouquets together. This is just a passion of mine, and, and would it be okay if I replaced that old plastic set of flowers with a beautiful bouquet of fresh flowers? And he's like, well, sure, absolutely. So one Sunday night, the, the pastor's sitting there in his office, which was just next to the sanctuary, and he saw through his window this young lady getting this bouquet of flowers out of her car, and she's carrying them across the parking lot, and Pretty soon, he's there in his office, and he hears some commotion in the sanctuary. 
Well, it just so happens there's another saint of the Lord, an older saint, who was in the sanctuary. And she began to tell this young convert that uh, she could not change those flowers out. And she's like, and the other lady's like, well, yeah, I've, I've already talked to pastor about this. I've gotten permission to, to be able to do this. And she says, no, you can't. And he's sitting in his office, and it's getting louder and louder. And he's a smart man, so he just continued to sit in his office. <laughs> he didn't get up and go see what was going on in there. And so it got louder, and, and finally he, he could hear because it's getting loud. He could hear, and, and the, the older lady says to her, she's like, over my dead body, will you take those out of here? And then he heard a <laughs> few minutes go by. He's still sitting in his office. <laughs> a few minutes go by, and the um, young lady looks like with some tears in her eyes and mascara running down her face, she comes and stands in the doorway of the pastor, and she begins to tell him the story. She says, listen, I did what I asked you to do. I went to change these out, and, and this lady in here, she tells me I can't. And she says, those flowers were given in honor of her dead friend, and I couldn't take those out. And, and I said, but, but you told me I could. And, and, Pastor, as she went on, I can tell you this, the spirit of slap came all over me. <laughs> she done smacked this saint of God. <laughs> now, y'all sitting there laughing like the spirit of slap ain't never come over you. <laughs> come on, you're going to tell me that nobody has gotten under your skin so much that you felt the spirit of slap come upon you and you just wanted. All right. That being said, <laughs> some of you have actually may not be admitting this, but some of you have told me some stories of someone who has wronged you, and I, I can almost promise you it looked like the spirit of slap was rising up on your face as you're telling me this perceived wrong that you had, because sometimes it's just that, right? It's perceived wrong and not an actual wrong. Can I just tell you, though, there's no real, no real such thing as the spirit of slap, though. We call that the flesh, Maybe, maybe your blood pressure, too. Maybe it rises up a little bit as the anger begins to stir. <laughs> but what about, what about in life when it's not just sitting in traffic in Nashville in rush hour? Because that's where it'll come on us a lot, right? What about if it's not when someone took your lunch out of the break room fridge at the office? What about when we see true evil in the world? How do we process it when, when, when it's so blatantly in our face? Because the truth is, we do see real evil. It raises its ugly head in all sorts of forms. Evil's been around forever. I mean, you'll go back to Genesis. I mean, shortly after Adam and Eve are, are sent out of the garden, we, we see evil rise up in, in one of their sons. We see evil rise up in Cain as he, as he slays his brother. In the days of Noah, we saw evil in such a way that God hits the reset button and says, I'm just going to start over. And it didn't take long after the reset, after Noah, before evil got a stronghold once again. And guess what? 
it ain't going away anytime soon. It's part of this fallen world that we live in. We should know that we are going to face things in this world that are going to cause us to get angry. Some of those things are the trials of life. Some of those things could be real, actual persecution. In John 15, Jesus addresses that. He says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. You see, throughout history, the believer has been persecuted. We see it from the very onset of the church. Before Paul ever had his Damascus Road experience, we see him there present at the stoning of of Stephen at the first martyr. Today, we hear reports of Christians being massacred for their faith. I got friends in a country who are constantly being persecuted by the local government. Even now, what a few short years ago would seem impossible here in this country, we're seeing take place. Just this week in in Congress, one representative from New York said this, what any religious tradition describes as God's will is of no concern to this Congress. And I'm here to tell you this, evil has corrupted government for years. It's not anything new. And it will continue to do so. The question is, though, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to evil when we see it in the world? Many respond with, by, by simply talking about how they can't believe it's happening. How about instead of spending, instead of spending a little more time doing that, how about we spend a little more time telling people about Jesus? I'm not saying you shouldn't call evil out. You should. But shouldn't we at least invest as much time in, in sharing the gospel of Jesus as we do about just complaining? Maybe if we spent a little more time on the Great Commission, we might not have to devote so much time to complaining about the evil. Well, this passage of Scripture in Psalm 94 was written to a group of people who had seen corrupt governments. They had seen wickedness. And while this passage of Scripture may not tell us exactly how to deal with the lady who would not allow the bouquet of plastic flowers to be removed, I do think it will give us a roadmap in how we are to deal with or how to process evil and challenges that we come across in the world today. So if you're there in Psalm 94, let's jump right in. Verse number one says this, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, render punishment to the proud. So that may sound a bit harsh, but the the writer here is really opening with a prayer. I mean, look, he's saying, O O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. he's, He's saying, listen, God, shine forth in all of your glory. Judge these these wicked evildoers in front of everyone. Make it known. Let everyone see what will happen when people do evil. The writer is simply asking for God's justice, his law, to be upheld. And from the very beginning of this passage, we see the writer recognizes something very important. That is this. He knows that justice belongs to the Lord. That's what that says right there, to, to whom vengeance belongs. That doesn't mean that we don't have any responsibility, though. We have clear directives to to speak out 
against injustice, to speak out against evil when we see it. And we sure shouldn't participate in evil. I mean, Paul to the Thessalonians says that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother. We're quick to say, look at that evil over there. But what about when we defraud someone? I, I know no one would really ever do that. That would never happen, right? But what about when you short, you shortchange your employer? No one will really notice if I just skip out a little early. Isn't that defrauding your brother when you've been paid? What about when, when you've got a business and you're doing a job for someone and you cut a few corners that no one will notice? Do we really want God to show up and shine forth with all his glory in those moments? See, because all those little hidden things done in darkness are seen when the light of God is shined upon them. I'm not saying we shouldn't want the, the, the glory of God or the light of God to, to shine forth or to come forth. We should. We should want that. I'm just saying you need to be aware that nothing's hidden from it. It's all seen. Verse number three says this, Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? He wants to make sure he says that, you know, twice. They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. In these few verses here, the writer is pretty clear that he thinks God isn't doing a very good job. He knows that justice belongs to the Lord, but that being said, it would seem that he thinks God needs a little reminder. He's like, God, justice isn't being carried out here. Don't you see all these evildoers? The psalmist, the writer here is like, how long, God? Hey, are you watching? Listen to the way the New Living Translation says it. How long, O oh Lord, how long will the wicked be allowed to gloat? How long will they speak with arrogance? How long will these evil people boast? How many times do we say the same thing? How many times do we feel the need to help God out just a little bit? <laughs> God, didn't you see what they did to me? I'm your chosen one. Why are you letting them get away with this? We, we want to help make sure just justice is executed in a timely manner. Or is it maybe simply we are looking for a little revenge? Look at how the writer shifts in the next part of this passage. He says, understand you senseless among the people. And you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear shall not hear. He who formed the eye shall he not see. He who instructs the nations shall he not correct. He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. 
See, here in this passage, he, he goes from, from pointing out all the wrong to issue a word of warning. He tells them, listen, it's not wise to think God doesn't see. He says, God created the ear. Do you think he cannot hear? And he just says, God created the eye. Do you think he cannot see? God gave knowledge. Do you not think he knows what you're thinking? There's, there, there's a shift that has happened here. The writer starts this entire passage out with, with prayer. He's, he's declaring how justice belongs to God. And now, now his prayer didn't start with maybe the right attitude. He may have had... He may have just kind of just kind of spewed or vomited out of his mouth everything that was bottled up within him. He was like, God, don't you see? God, all this evil that is going on. God, when are you going to do something? But notice what he never did. While he was going through his entire list there, he never once said, God, you are not able. He never said, God, you're not able to do something about this. Don't ever confuse God's delay of justice or our perceived delay of justice or his patience, which is really what it is, with his inability. The writer from the very onset, even though he was upset, he knew that God was able. He said, vengeance belongs to the Lord. He said it from the very beginning. And then he, he follows that up with render punishment. How long are you going to wait? In other words, he knew that God could, could bring justice. He knew that God could, could come through. He understood that justice would be delivered. He never said, is it never going to happen? He's like, how long are you going to wait for, for it to happen? The, the writer was just tired of waiting on it. <laughs> Isn't that us so many times, though? See, even though he started by just kind of spewing out of his mouth all these thoughts, there's a change that happens as you progress through this passage. When we spend time in, in prayer, the same is true for us. And we should do the exact same as the, the writer of this passage did. And that was simply this. He started with prayer. He's got all of these things he's seeing and all this stuff that's going on. And he starts with prayer. When things are weighing you down, when you feel like you've been wronged, when you know you've been wronged, because there's sometimes we think we've been, and then there's other times there's no doubt we know that we've been wronged. When you come into those moments, take it to Him in prayer. you got to start there. See, when we go to the Lord in prayer, even though we may have had a bad attitude about something, the longer we spend there in prayer with Him, our focus shifts. See, we begin to see things from a different point of view. And that's what happened here with this writer. He went from complaining about all the evil to giving a warning to those who were committing the evil. See, he tells them through his questions that God not only sees all, but he also brings correction not just to the individual, but to also nations. Church, we see the evil. We complain about the evil. But are we also warning the people? Are we letting them know? I'm not talking about trying to speak of how God is out to get them, because he's not. God is out to save them. 
He gave his all. He gave his all so that people could be made right. But in telling people about his love, we must never forget that he is a just God. Justice will be had. There's a contrast in, in viewpoints in verses 3 and 7 with verses 8 through 12. We, we have the choice on how we view and, and how we respond. Do we look at the world around us and just simply complain about the bad things? Or do we remember that God does see all? He does hear all. He does know all. And, and he brings correction. See, it's a matter of how we look at things. The situation didn't change. The focus changed from the writer. Check out this picture right here. Look at this. It's just a crazy picture, right? I mean, it's like this floating rock in the air here. At first appearance, when you look at this picture here, it looks like something is wrong. We have this huge rock, and it's just kind of hovering there in the air. But what if we look at that picture just a little bit differently? What if we look at that picture with a different perspective? Same picture, different perspective. Same picture. Upside down, right side up. See, sometimes we, we look around and it seems that everything is out of balance, that everything is chaotic, that everything looks messed up. But when we remember that God is the solid rock and that he will not be shaken, when you have this perspective, things don't look quite as chaotic. Things don't look quite as disturbed. See, when you know who he is and that he is sovereign, you can have peace even in the midst of the storm. It's all about this. It's about changing our focus. It's about taking a different look, a different perspective. We waste so much time and energy, and we devote so much of it reminding God of the evil in the world. Can I just tell you this? He's very well aware of it. Our time would be much better spent warning the world and sharing the love of God. So much better spent than reminding God of the evil that's in the world. He already knows. Look at verses 12 through 15. Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Here we see yet another shift in this passage. He goes from warning the wicked to encouraging the righteous. He says, listen, those who receive God's instruction, those who welcome his discipline, those who, those who walk in obedience, they will be blessed. He's like, listen, if, if you're obedient to the correction of God in your life, it's going to help you out in so many ways. It's going to keep you from so many problems you would otherwise walk into. See, so much of the adversity we face in life is because we are not walking in obedience of God's instruction. In this passage, he's like, listen, 
the, the writer's like, listen, God's not going to cast off his people. In other words, he's not going to forget about you. He's not going to throw you to the side. He's not going to also let un- injustice go unanswered. There is a day of reckoning coming. God will bring about his justice. He says there is a pit that's going to be dug for the wicked. But until that day comes, you need to know that God continues to care for his people through the troubles of life. Doesn't mean evil is going to disappear. Not anytime soon. Doesn't mean that you aren't going to face persecution or trouble in this life. What it means is simply this. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to leave you while you're in your trouble. We have a promise. The world is not our end. This life, this moment is not the end. We have a blessed hope. He will return. He will take us home. We will rule and reign with him. No matter what you're going through today, no matter your troubles, this is not the end. We have a future. We have a hope. And it is so much better than your best day here. We need to hold on to those promises. we got to remember, just because we face opposition in this life doesn't mean that God has turned his back on us. He hasn't just left us. There will come a day when his perfect kingdom, his perfect kingdom will be established. Not man's idea of a perfect kingdom, but his perfect kingdom, his perfect government. A lot different than the one we see today. But until then, let's stay in prayer. Let's focus on the right things. Verses 16 through 19 says this. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord has been my help, my soul would have been settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. And the multitude of my anxieties within me. Your comfort delights my soul. Here the writer says yet again. He turns inward. He shares about how the Lord has brought him through. He does this to encourage the reader and to encourage himself. He wants the reader to know that if you trust in God, he will bring you through. Yes, you will have trials. But know this, he will not leave you. He brings comfort in the storm. The, the writer's like, listen, it was bad. It was so bad that if you weren't there to help me, I would not have made it. He said, listen, when I slip, when I fall, the Lord is there to hold me up. When the worries of life cause, cause anxieties to fill my mind, you bring comfort to my soul. You know what the writer is doing right there? The writer is giving some testimony. How do we overcome? By the blood of the lamb and what? The word of our testimony. Maybe we need to stop spending so much time reminding God of how he hasn't fixed the world's problems. Stop spending so much time reminding him of how he hasn't fixed our troubles, and start reminding ourselves 
of how God has brought us through time and time and time again. Maybe you ought to start spending a little time declaring the goodness of the Lord. Maybe you need to start declaring that victory lies ahead. Listen, if you've been sick in body, I'm not saying that you pretend that it's not real. Here's what I'm saying. Let's shift our focus and begin to declare by his stripes he has promised healing. How about we start praying as Jesus taught? Jesus said this. When you pray, pray this way. Pray God's will in heaven be done where? On earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what I know. In eternity... There is no more sickness. Here's what I know. In heaven, in in eternity, there are no more tears. It's time maybe we start praying a little heaven down rather than a little earth up. How about we start declaring those things that have been loosed in heaven, healing, wholeness, freedom. How about we start declaring those to be loosed here on earth? See, your, your testimony, it's about you, but it's not just for you. Someone in the fire right now, no need, they need to know. They need to know that you've been in the fire too. They need to know that you've come out of the fire and they can't even smell smoke upon you. See, someone in the river right now that's raging, they need to know how you walked through that raging river and came out the other side. The world needs the saints of God to testify, to testify. I'm telling you, you've got something good that God has done. You need to let the world know about it. It's time for the saints of God to testify of the goodness of God. Stop stop waiting for dawn to break. See, maybe you ought to be praising him while it's still dark. See, no matter what you're going through or will go through because it ain't over yet, you got something to shout about. He saved your soul. He forgave you. He set you free. He's got a hope and a future according to his word. It's amazing how a little time in prayer, how how this writer, his, his focus went from complaining to thanking. See, and when we do the same, when we take and spend a little time with the word, a little time in prayer, our focus begins to shift. And we go from complaining, complaining, complaining to praising to praising to praising because he has done so much for you maybe we spend a little more time in prayer a little more time in the word testifying of his goodness might be just a little bit easier verses 20 through 23 says this shall the throne of iniquity which devises evil by law have fellowship with you. They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. But the Lord, but the Lord has been my defense and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. It's going to happen. Why do we spend so much time worrying about how God does it, when God does it? It's going to happen. See, here, 
as the closes out this passage, the psalmist circles back around to where he began. He's reminding the reader, and he's reminding himself. Evil will not escape God's judgment. God has the last word. We just got to keep our focus there on verse 22. We'll put it back up there. The Lord has been my defense and my God, the rock of my refuge. If you spend some time in Scripture, you'll see this over and over again. God encourages, don't worry so much. Don't worry so much about the evildoers. They'll get their just reward. But instead, turn your focus towards me. The brief synopsis of this passage could simply be this, cling to the Lord. Cling to the Lord. No matter if the earth quakes, no matter if the waters rage, no matter if people attack, put your trust in Him. Put your trust in Jesus. He is a firm foundation that cannot be shaken. Spend some daily time in the Word. Spend some time in prayer. And make a choice on where your focus is, your perspective. Are you looking at everything from the world's view or from God's view? Because when we look at it from the world's view, it all seems messed up and chaotic. But when we can see things from His view, through the truth of the Word, everything is solid. There is a firm foundation. There are promises that will come true. This moment, many of you may be in a tough situation. Here's what I'm here to tell you. This moment is not the end. You've got a promise of hope. You have a promise of a future. And His plans, according to His word, are good. His forgiveness is great. And no matter what you're going through today, you have something to shout about. Here's your job. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. Tell somebody what God has done for you. When you begin doing that, your focus shifts. Your, your focus from all of the ancillary stuff that's going on around you shifts to Him. And you're reminded of the goodness of the Lord, of what He has done for you. And someone might just get blessed. And it might be you. Amen? Let's pray.